Well, hello, everybody. I hope you are doing well today. Today, we have the latest episode of the A Few of My Favorite Things podcast. It is the second episode of the third season. And if you haven't listened to the first episode, which was with Nate Barker, please go ahead and do that right now. After you listen to that first episode, of course, we have just an amazing guest coming on the show. I am just really intrigued by his story, and I am just so appreciative of the fact that Big Benny Buckets has just graced us with his presence and is just here to talk with us today. So, Ben, how are you doing? I'm doing good. That's a really high bar to start me off at. I, I have to be now intriguing, and uh, well, I can't remember the other adju- the other superlatives you gave me, but I, I'm just going to try and not screw up too badly. <laughs> Look, I, I promise you that's all you have to do, but don't worry. You're already doing great, I can assure you. Tell us where you're talking to us at. Sure. So I, I live in Maryland. I have a background in Catholicism, right? So I was born and raised Catholic. I went to Catholic school from first grade to 12th grade. Uh, first grade, eighth grade was not my decision, uh, but I had really, I did enjoy learning about my faith. I always, I always had a strong connection to it. I was given the option for where I could attend high school and wanted to go to a Catholic school. So I, I continued to do that and really enjoyed, not only just enjoyed my Catholic education, I got a lot out of it. I, I got a lot out of the, the, the religious ed part of it was, was formative for me. It, it, it really instructed a lot of who I am today. Uh, and, and I'm grateful for most of that because uh, I think I'm, frankly, an awesome person. And so uh, so I, I do thank my, my Catholic education for that. So went to college, did the college thing, got a degree in religious studies, and also have a background in physics, and then started working in, in Catholic education. I worked, I worked as a youth minister for a couple years and then, and then went into Catholic education and Catholic administration. was actually an assistant principal of a of a pre-k to eight school and then it all left i left the faith completely i'm now i now identify as an atheist and all that happened while i had two children at the school at which i was an assistant principal and that was not an easy process at all so that's where i'm coming from uh that's a complicated web. <laughs> yeah, that is certainly definitely very interesting. So I would say for you, becoming an atheist happened later in life, correct? Sure. Yeah, I was I was probably in my late twenties when I started really questioning things, and so yeah, yeah. Again, you know, Garrett, that's kind of a dick thing to say. I'm not later in life currently. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I'm in my thirties, Garrett. Come on, man. Uh, no, uh, no, it's true. Most people who go through deconversions, I think, uh, are people who maybe didn't have strong attachments to their faith in the first place place or I mean a lot of folks get to college that, that that thing that evangelicals especially are scared of of their of their children going to college and getting liberalized and getting atheicized there's merit to it right it turns out when you learn about other types of people you go oh shit maybe my faith isn't as well founded as I thought so so lots of people do lose faith or at least lose the fundamentalist uh, line of their faith uh, but I did not I made it through college um, still, a pretty devout Catholic. Obviously, I went into into ministry. So yeah, I guess I guess relative to most atheists, I think I did deconvert later in life. So all right, I'll forgive. <laughs> of course, you. I wasn't trying to call you old or anything. So no, now you put words on it. I hadn't said it yet. <laughs> now you did. <laughs> okay, I kind of messing myself up here, right? But uh, don't worry, I'll make yeah, up yeah, for yeah. it. Don't worry. This is really interesting too, as well. Um, would you say that I guess just through the process of just kind of going through everything? Um, the way I kind of found out about your story, which was on YouTube, was through a uh, process called How Donald Trump Made Me an Atheist. And as I discovered, it mm. was a lot more complicated than that. And so I guess, <laughs> would you say that was just kind of the tipping point? 
I would get, I would say that Donald Trump's election was um, a catalyst for me because to get my political views out of the way, I, while I do lean lean pretty f- far left, I haven't always. And even in 2016, I wasn't especially left wing. I was I was really I thought pretty moderate. But I thought but I thought Donald Trump was sort of patently a, a dope. Uh, he, he, not just a dope, but like an evil dope. It's plain to me that he's he's uninterested. He's unintelligent. He doesn't even care about learning new things. And to me, that is <laughs> that's just completely antithetical to how we ought live. I think we ought to. Uh, be constantly thirsting and, and driving for more information. And and I saw this guy just constantly making claims that were without evidence, if not just outright lies, were contradicting each other. It was just, I, there's no way I thought you could look at this guy and say, this guy uh, would make a good president. I think I think it's just clear. And we could, we could hash that out for hours, but I don't think, again, I, I there's not, not a lot of reasonable people I've spoken with uh, on either side of the political aisle, think this man would be a good president. And it's not to say that I think Hillary Clinton was a tremendous candidate herself. But what was clear to me, what, what really concerned me and caused me to rethink my faith was the answers people were giving for why they, why they thought Donald Trump would be a good president. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. It was like I, 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 I was trying to access how Trump supporters came to believe Trump would be a good president. And they would say things like, I believe that God has ordained him. I believe he is God, chosen by God to, to be president. You know, not every king of Israel was was perfect, but, but God blessed them and ordained them. And I was like, what makes you think Donald Trump was ordained of God to be president? And then the answers got really fuzzy. They looked some biblical prophecy that was, I mean, just bad. And and I and again, this was me as a believer looking at this and going, that's that's terrible. That's not a good application of that prophecy. Or, or just like they'd say, I've got this feeling, you know, get the spirit moved me to believe that Donald Trump was a good president. And and that one really kind of stopped me in my tracks because I have certainly been moved by the Spirit, or at least I believed then that I had been moved by the Spirit. And when I was hearing these things about like the people having feelings or, or, or feeling that, you know, that in prayer they determined that God wanted Trump to be president, and I went, you know, you know, I think they're wrong, but I also can't figure out how their answers uh, are different from my answers on why I believe God exists and loves me and cares about me. So much of it is internal and, ex- and experiential but not an experience that can be shared. It's an internal experience. And I went, well, okay, I need it. All right, well, let me reevaluate why I think that, why I think those experiences are valid. And so I went to re- reevaluate those experiences. And the more I did that, the harder it became to distinguish those types of beliefs. And that got me really, that obviously got me really concerned because I think these folks really do believe Donald Trump will make or did make a, a good president. <laughs> now they believe that he still is the president or whatever, whatever BSQ nonsense they, they, uh, they believe in. Um, but, but they think that's all there. And I'm just, and I, and I, and I, and I think they're grasping at straws. And I realized that, that maybe I am like, what, what about, what about my faith is actually grounded in something that is, that is reasonable. And the more I did that dive, the more I found my answers insufficient and that and that's what the youtube um video series is it's me chronicling the unpacking of my faith from step one to to step trump uh and so it's, it's, it's a long series but uh i would invite anyone to watch it thanks for letting me plug that garrett uh i of course i would invite you to to to, to watch the whole thing because i think you know even in this podcast which i'm i'm really appreciative of of being on for 
it, it doesn't really tell the whole story. Um, you know, how Donald Trump made me an atheist is, is catchy. And it is, it, there's definitely a kernel of truth to it. But nobody who believes as deeply as I did can explain to you how their faith unpacked in an hour, in two hours. It, it was a journey, man. And it still is. Like putting, putting life back together without faith is still a journey. I'm still finding things that I go, boy, I don't know what to do. Not having faith. Like I had a principle that was informed by my faith and that, that faith no longer exists. Is that principle still right? I don't know. Let's re-examine that. Of course, and I've just found that just to be a really intriguing and interesting process. And I can imagine that some people in the audience right now is like, Donald Trump deconstructed your faith, man, that's just some BS. But I feel like the thing that you kind of needed to understand about that as well is kind of look at it from a more applied spectrum. Really what you were saying was because people used reasoning that were no different than mine to say, well, I just feel it in my spirit. That's why it happened. Well, you might think that's bad to relate that to Donald Trump, but look at it from a larger perspective. Isn't that something that people use to justify their own religious beliefs, whether it's Christianity or Islam or Hinduism? So it might sound really limiting yeah. to look at it from Donald Trump land and Donald Trumpville or whatever you want to call it, but perhaps applied to a greater perspective, perhaps asking that question as it relates to just what makes your religion more justified than others, perhaps that isn't good justification at all. No, that's exactly it, right? Uh, and again, now I've, I've probably turned off every single Trump voter in your, in your audience, uh, but but again, it really doesn't it doesn't really have a whole lot to do with Donald Trump specifically, insofar as I, maybe I had like I could still be wrong about Donald Trump. Uh, I, I think you'd, I think I think it'd be quite an argument to get me to move on that position, but I could be wrong about that. And the journey I went on with my faith was still correct. Because it wasn't that Donald Trump's presidency led me to believe there is no God. It's that the line of reasoning caused me to re-examine things. And I don't think that line of reasoning is, is worth is worth putting any, any investment into anymore. I guess kind of just going off just with this process of being able to talk about this on your YouTube channel. What has that been able to do for you? You know what's interesting, uh, Garrett, is it's been way more cathartic than I expected. I mean, I knew that part of the journey was going to be my own healing. I know there's an episode where I talk a lot about homosexuality. I talk about that in a number of episodes because it is, I think, uh, one of the populations that is most harmed by Christianity and Catholicism specifically. And and again, I'm not I'm not going to get into that here, like like why I think Catholicism is, is so cruel to, to gay people and anyone in the LGBT um Anyone on uh, with an LGBT identity, I think, is 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 deeply harmed and hurt by by Catholicism. But uh, even though I personally made peace with a God and the and the God of Christianity and LGBT people, right? I have family members who are gay who I openly celebrate, participated in their weddings when I was a believer, when I was a when I was a, a Catholic. Uh, I thought the church was wrong about its position on on gay people, but I was a deep believer, right? So I had accepted a positive attitude towards towards LGBT people, but still felt that I could be a Catholic. And then I took positions as administrators in Catholic schools. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means that the individual students I talked to, I, I could be an ally for them. I could be a sounding board for them. They knew they could talk to me about their identities, but I also was representing an organization, right? When I'm an assistant principal, <laughs> I am signing off on what I accept to be cruel beliefs, cruel attitudes towards gay people, and, and in fact, legislative action. They were the, the diocese in which I was working, 
was engaging in in anti-LGBT legislative lobbying. And I was like, how am I squaring? Like, I there was cognitive dissonance going on when I was a believer, right? And I went, well, I'm still doing my part for gay folks, for, for trans folks, by being that clarion voice in their moment, in their real life. And yes, I know the church is doing bad things on the side, but I, for this child who is still here and is going to be here even if I leave, I can I can still be be a voice for them. And I I have had, I have struggled a lot with that afterwards about whether or not I was doing more harm than good at that point. And I still know the answer. But what I can say is that being able to offer apologies for that harm has been helpful because I I've had I've had LGBT folks reach out to me through that YouTube channel and say that they appreciate it. They appreciate the fact that I said the words. Yeah, I knew it was wrong. And I thought what I was doing was right. Maybe it wasn't. And I'm sorry that I didn't do more. I'm sorry for those times I let you down. I'm sorry that I stood next to an organization, carried water for an organization that doesn't like you. And, and they say they do. And that's bullshit. And, uh, and and I get into that in one of the videos and I won't get into it here. But I, but like I, I am deeply sorry. And I'm sorry that I, I guess I'm not, I, I shouldn't say sorry because it sounds like I, I really regret it. But there are plenty of kids who I led into deeper faith. And I, I guess I am defining regret here because I was about to say, I wish I hadn't, but I wish I hadn't. I wish I wish I had asked them better questions that made them think critically. I don't want to tell people right now, don't believe in God. That's I don't think that's the way we should go about things. But I can tell you why I don't. I'd be interested if you want to tell me why you do. And then maybe I can ask some questions about why you do. Because that's all I think we should do. I think we should be really, really critical of, in, in how we approach this question. So I guess that's that's a really long answer to a question, which was like, how, how do you enjoy this thing? And the answer is like, it's been it's been great. I really have enjoyed it. Um, uh, it's, it's been very, very cathartic and um, and uh, fruitful and, and like and deeply rewarding. As you kind of delved into the later point with having dialogues about asking these deep questions, especially as it relates to God not trying to convert, but to convey a message that could inspire people to think more critically. And oftentimes uh, that is what happens when most people have these conversations, but just a terrible issue, especially as it relates to atheists, and I'm sure you can relate to this in many ways, is there's this perception that they're like the, the atheists you see on God's Not Dead, like demeaning Christians, like are these terrible, angry, deep-seated people who just have a fundamental hatred for God and things of that nature. And that's in these conversations that need to happen to ask questions about why people believe the things they believe. They're overshadowed by these sort of premises and sort of uh, stereotypes that have negatively impacted this dialogue, but also negatively impacted the way this community is seen. Now, I guess from your mm. own experience, what would you say is something that's just been really, I guess, detrimental especially on the perception of atheists that you feel like needs to change? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So I guess I'll nest this question a little bit. So the biggest one, the biggest perception is, is the amount of fulfillment and joy and love that are in the life of people who count themselves as atheists, right? My love for my children, my love for my family, my joy in life, my marriage are all at least as good, if not better. Right. And I, and I mean to say that because I didn't believe that was possible. I, I've, I've had lots of friends who are, who are atheist or at least, at least don't count themselves as part of an organized religion. And I recognized in deconverting that I was holding an attitude 
that those people could really never be as fulfilled as as someone who who lived a life of faith. I would not have said that out loud, mind you. And I don't know that I would it, I don't know that I would have agreed internally if someone said it. But I found out that hiding deep back in the recesses of my mind was this attitude because I was very concerned about adopting the label for myself of atheist. It was about a six month process from when I don't think I believed in God anymore to when I could actually say I'm an atheist out loud to myself, let alone saying it to my wife or anyone else in the world. Now, part of that was because I was still employed by the Catholic Church. So saying it out loud, that, that there was a ton of risk there. But not with my wife. My wife wasn't going to go tell on me. Uh, she needs my money, that, that big giant Catholic school paycheck. Uh, <laughs> you know, but just saying it out loud, scared me. Um, and and I think that has to do with, with this notion that I had in my head that atheists are pessimists, that they're unfulfilled, that they are nihilists. That's the one. I think I think the road, the slippery slope Christians believe exists from atheism to nihilism just doesn't exist. Like there is plenty of gravel on that slope. You can find purchase somewhere and not slip into nihilism. You can just, you can just love life. I love my life. I don't want to die, but I will die. Actually, I was explaining this to my son the other day. Boy, what was it we were talking about? Oh yeah. Okay. We were at a wedding and my son is nine, right? And he's a great kid. I love this kid. And there's no bias there. He's objectively awesome. <laughs> uh, we're at a wedding. We're like two and a half hours into this wedding. And he is having a freaking blast. I mean, he's having such a great time. And I don't know what happened. I think he took a minute to himself and, and that was cool. And then, and then like all of a sudden I found out he's like crying. And I was like, I was like, what, what's going on? He goes, I, he's like, I don't want this to end. And he was like, he was really upset that in an hour the wedding was going to end and we weren't going to be doing this, this awesome party anymore. And so we're sitting there talking. I was like, you know, I get that, man. I don't want the wedding to end either. It's, I'm having a great time, but it is going to end. And he goes, and then he starts crying more. He goes, I don't want to end. I was like, well, right. Okay. I don't mean to get really dark with you, bud. This is me talking to a nine-year-old now. So, so if you want to slap me with a nihilistic attitude, here it is. I said, bud, like, you know, we're going to die too. And I don't want to die. And he gets a little sad for a minute. I was like, but here's the great thing, man. Here's the great thing. Right now we're alive. Right now we're alive and we're going to juice, we're going to squeeze every bit of juice from this fruit that we can. And so take that to right now. We're at a wedding. There's an hour left in this wedding. I am going to squeeze every bit of juice from this wedding that I can get. Right now, it's okay. We, we, we need to take a minute. We're going to recompose ourselves. But every minute we spend thinking about how bad it's going to be, that the wedding's going to end, it's time we're not enjoying the wedding. We're just burning through what's left on the clock. And so, okay. Does that mean then, do I, do I take from that lesson, oh, do everything you want all the time, always, and that's what it means to be an atheist? And the answer is no, like no. Prudence is still a thing. Long-term planning is still a thing. I shouldn't base my life around an afterlife that we have no reason to believe exists. I can love my life and everything about it. Well, I mean, not everything about it. There's things that suck. And that's the other thing. I can just say that things suck about my life. I don't have to pretend like it's all a gift from God or, or a test from God. It just is. It just is life. Things are so much simpler in, in a lot of ways. It just is life. And you take the good with the bad and you you try and, and you you love the hell out of everyone that you meet as far as you can. I don't know if anyone's familiar with Dave Warnock. He really helped me a lot. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with him, Garrett. Dave Warnock, do you know his name at all? Um, I can't say that I do. Okay, so he's he he has ALS, I think. So he's dying. Uh, he's an atheist, a former a former pastor actually, and now an atheist. And he goes, my what I'm telling you is, 
every chance you get to hug a neck, hug a neck. And to me, it's just such a beautiful sentiment. I use, I tell people I love them more than I did when I was a believer because, and it's not because I'm worried about dying. It's just like, how great does it feel when someone tells you they love you? Uh, it feels great. And for people I love, I want them to know that I love them every chance I can. I say it to my siblings more. I say it to my good friends more. I say it to my kids more. I say it to my wife more. I have no reason to believe that we're all going to be together someday at a big family reunion in the sky. So I'm telling you now, I love you. That's really interesting because based off of what you're saying, it almost makes it seem like becoming an atheist makes you appreciate and love life more and all of its intricacies and everything that has to come along with it. I have found that to be the case, and I don't mean to suggest that atheists have a monopoly on perspective, right? <laughs> Where, I, you know, there are dumb atheists. There, there are atheists who don't, um, who I think are are non-critical of their of their beliefs. I'm telling you from my experience, and from the experience of lots of atheists I know, that when I really questioned my beliefs, I was very scared of the consequence of of no longer believing in an afterlife, no longer believing in, in an intimate personal God, that my life would be, have less meaning. And I found exactly the opposite to be the case. So, so I can't say for you. And by the way, there are absolutely Christians who left faith because they found no reason to believe it anymore, who went through a period of depression because they don't believe in heaven anymore. That could happen. So I don't, I don't want to paint this picture being too rosy because other, everyone has different experiences. But what I can tell you is, is with, with confidence, I am happier with my life. I am more hopeful, more optimistic, more joyful, knowing that this is the ride I got and I am just going to, I'm going to. So again, I don't, I don't want to say I'm like, I'm going to live, love every minute of it because I'm not. And I'm not, and like, it doesn't mean I threw away my kid's college fund or, or my retirement fund. It means that I don't, I've got no reason to think that there is a great beyond. So I'm making this the great beyond. This is it. Wow. Would you say there's anything else you would just like to tell the world as it relates to this message? Because this has been really passionate and powerful to hear this from you. It really has been. Well, thanks. Um, my thing is, is always, and has been for a long time, that we should critically examine the things we believe when we are caused, like when we have those moments that say, are you sure about this? Trust that instinct. Trust that instinct. Because you might be wrong and you might be right. Giving it another once over, how can that hurt anything? Um, what's the phrase? Um, truth has nothing to fear from investigation, right? I heard that one early in the process and I went, yup. If that God that I believe in exists, why would that God not want me to look under every rock and say, look, here you are. Here you are. Everything that I've pointed to and has caused me to believe so far, it turns out it was well-founded. Why wouldn't God want me to examine that? The answer is, any God worth worshiping would want you to. Again, I don't mean to suggest I have a monopoly on this. There could be God. God could exist. And so I'm not done looking. If someone has something I can look at to say, look, you, you should be bad. You should be a believer because of X, Y, and Z. Show me X, Y, and Z, man. I want to believe it. I want to believe things that are true. So keep examining. Bring me questions. Go find my YouTube channel and comment. If you want to shoot me an email at uh, bigbennybucketsyt at gmail.com. Man, I'd love, to, I'd love to see what you got. I think questions about religion and questions about spirituality are really worth asking and examining. So there it is. That's my thing. Keep, keep asking questions. Keep thinking about it. Of course. And I would invite all of our listeners not to just engage with the, uh, the preview that was on YouTube or also just with the comment section on Spotify, but to also just look at his channel 
when he says that he is open to talking with people to discuss these issues, he really means what he says, and he'd be more than happy to talk with you. Religious, non-religious, questioning, and everything else in between, I feel like you could have a lot to gain just from what he says. And honestly, I hope just through the process of just hearing this conversation, if your perception of atheists has changed, I would just like to thank him for that, because obviously I feel like this is just part of what I want to do for the podcast. I want people to become more informed about just as it relates to religion, just as it relates to topics, as it relates to religion and people, just so they aren't basing their things, basing their information on an entire group of individuals based off of falsehoods, based off of inaccuracies, and just based off of things that are not true. Because this does in turn affect how we view each other. This affects how we interact with each other. And thinking that it doesn't or that thoughts don't matter is really inherently part of the problem. So I hope through the process of listening to this episode, if you have more questions, great. That's kind of the point. That's part of the reason why we're ending it earlier. Mm. We want you to pursue these questions, whether it be to me, whether it be to Ben. We want these things to happen. And as we just close out this podcast episode, we just want to thank you so much for listening on to this and really engaging in this conversation. Ben, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. It really was my pleasure. I really do mean that. Uh, Garrett, I had a great time. Thanks. Those are some great questions. Uh, I, I appreciate you having me on. Thanks to everybody who took the time to listen. Of course. And as always, everybody, stay prosperous. Mm-hmm.